Philly Built is brought to you by phillyzoning.com, which is powered by Anastasio Law, Philadelphia's zoning authority. Hey folks, welcome back to Philly Built. So the last time Mark Squill and I talked about development and the economy of Philadelphia, it was 11 years ago when we both were competing against each other in the Democratic primary for the first district city council seat that he now holds. And after 11 years, there's a lot to talk about, but we tried to keep it focused on some of the bigger items these days, like the 76ers plans for Market East, protecting old neighborhood churches from the wrecking ball, and how local businesses are dealing with crime. We've got all that and more, plus a big bowl of the council members' favorite meal from where? Find out right here, right now. We're talking to the council member, Mark Squilla, on the season finale of Philly Built. First District Council Member, Mark Squilla, welcome to Philly Built. Thank you, Vern. It's a pleasure being here, and thank you for inviting me. Well, thank you. I know how busy you are. Um, let's get this out of the way pretty, you know, right up front. A lot of your colleagues have resigned to run for mayor. You don't have any plans or designs for the mayor's uh, spot this cycle, do you? Absolutely not. No, I mean, we have a lot of work still to do in my district. Um, there's just challenging times right now. And um, I think that staying here in council, having a um, consistent voice on where we're going, I think is important. And there's still a lot of work that we need to do to complete. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to working with the new administration and whoever that may be. But I'll be staying right here running in May for uh another term on council. Well, okay. You just made some news. Thank you. Uh, of the field so far, do you have a favorite? Well, it's kind of hard. Not everybody announced yet. I mean, right. we, we're hearing that people are going to announce, and uh, I think until the field is complete, it's going to be kind of hard to tell. A lot of them are going to be my colleagues, so it's going to be very difficult to really uh, pick one over the other who I've worked closely with, all of them. Yeah, uh, uh, so Some of them, district council members and others, uh, at large members. Absolutely. Do you, th do you mean, think there's a difference in qualification? The job is different, Mark. You know that. I, it's a lot different because um, it's a personal thing. A district council member has to address every issue within his district. He has to be present. He has to be accessible. And uh, and at large, council members sort of pick and choose the um, positions they want to take depending on the subject matter. Um, so uh, to me, I think a, a district council person would have a um, a better idea in handling those things because not that uh, the current uh, council member who came there came there from at large, but uh, you need somebody who's going to be present and somebody who's going to jump in and deal with every circumstance that it faces the city. I mean, everybody we hear right now is really interested in public safety. Public safety is the right. number one issue, no matter where you go, no matter what neighborhood it is. Right. But then once you pass public safety, then there's different issues in that neighborhood. And you have to be able to address them. And you can't just say, well, that's not important because we have these challenges up in Kensington or we have these challenges in Southwest Philadelphia. You still have to address those challenges and make sure that their voices are also heard. And I think sometimes when you are at large, you don't have to do that. Yeah. Speaking of neighborhoods, uh, we're going to get into something that uh, was nine or 10 years in the making and really came to a head this year for you in the first district. The traffic pattern changes at Washington Avenue, along Washington Avenue. Uh, uh, ultimately, uh, the, the the changes for what they are 
are happening on your side of the eastern portion of Washington Avenue, not the western portion, which is the second council district. Now, from an outsider looking in, on one hand, we had traffic engineers and city planners, the best of the best, telling us, the city uh, and everyone who lived around Washington Avenue, what is the safest plan for children and for old folks, for folks crossing the street, for folks who bike. And then on the other hand, you had some neighborhoods, some members of those neighborhoods uh, up in arms about the changes. why wasn't it obvious that we just listen to everybody, say thanks for your input, Mr. and Mrs. Joe Sixpack, but we're going to go with the pros because they're going to keep us safe? Well, I mean, listen, you know, being involved in zoning matters and things like that, no matter what you do, you never have everybody on the same page, right? There's always people who have differences of opinions, and I think they have to be heard during that process. And I think that was part of the challenge. A lot of this was done during the pandemic where it was done virtually and people felt like they weren't included in that process. Some people felt like they were set up saying, we have to choose the safest plan because they're saying it's the safest plan without taking anybody's input into the mix. And so they felt like it was skewed from the beginning. So when they first came back and they said, this is what we're doing, this majority what the people want. And they said, well, if somebody asked you, do you want existing conditions which are dangerous or do you want a safer plan? 90% of the people are going to say, we want a safer plan. And um, so once that plan came out, some residents say that we weren't part of that conversation. It was mostly virtual. We didn't get a say of what we wanted. Some of the small businesses didn't know what was going on. They were asked that they wanted a safer Washington Avenue or a dangerous Washington Avenue, which is now. So, you know, the pushback went, all right, Otis, what do you think? We're hearing all these concerns. And they said, Let's do a little more outreach. Otis went back and did in-person meetings with some of the people who had concerns and some of the small businesses. And I even requested them to do a freight study, which means look at the businesses, see where they deliver, where they have their deliveries, where they unload and load their stuff. Because Washington Avenue is also a commercial corridor and a pedestrian thoroughfare and a way for people to get cross town. So it's all three of those things and what would be the best way to do that? And then Otis came back sort of with a hybrid plan, right? Where some right. some were three, some were four, some were five. And you know, then we as council members had to weigh that with our constituencies and decide whether to move forward with that. Now, I all along said that I would work with Otis and the plan they presented would be one that I would introduce because you have to have a public hearing and we would have uh, you know people from the community groups come in there. Now, we don't have united support for this. There's a lot of people that are supportive of the hybrid plan that, well, they were supportive of the three lane plan. And then some people were supportive of keeping the way it was. And the hybrid plan sort of took in consideration the businesses there, how they would use the street. And then what we added at the end was a traffic analysis. In other words, you did a traffic study ahead of time on the adjoining streets, Federal Street, Ellsworth Street, Carpenter, right? And we see what was happening there. Can we add a traffic study after these changes are made and see if Washington Avenue is safer? It may be true, but does it make Federal Street less safe or does it make Ellsworth Street less safe? Let's see what those studies are because we might have to put additional changes in after a year or two of watching this and seeing what the impact is. And we don't want the people who live on Federal Street or Ellsworth Street to say, oh my God, this is horrible now. It's not safe on my street because we made Washington Avenue. So we added that 
caveat into the legislation, and we did introduce it on the east side of Broad Street. And uh, Councilman Johnson decided to see how that played out. And, um, you know, if this plays out well and everything goes good and, you know, the sky doesn't fall, then it makes it easier to move that suggestion onto the west side. You do understand, though, that there are safety advocates in the neighborhood that believe that what the the end result because of planning by committee um, is, in fact, an inferior plan. There are oh, folks who believe that. Absolutely. And and it sort of is. Right? I mean, if you come up with a, a safety plan, um, you believe it's the safest possible plan and move forward. Yeah. And we'll find out just how safe the new design is. Um, right. Well, we wouldn't find out unless we did it. Uh, uh, right. And unfortunately, folks may lose their lives for it, but we will find out or or, the, or not. Maybe they won't. Or not. No. <clears throat> right. Um, speaking of challenges, let's move north a little bit to, to uh, Old City and South Street, small businesses who we've been talking to a lot of here on Philly Built. Old City feels as though they, especially over the summer, have had um, a lot of issues with crime. Um, and chasing, literally chasing visitors and tourists away. More recently, as you know, and I know you know because you were the first elected on the scene earlier this summer after the multiple shooting on South Street, uh, and now just a, a, a more recent one. Um, there's there's a lot of problems there, and there are a lot of people, not just property owners or business people, but people uh, you know, I know them personally. I know you do in Queen Village, in Old City, that call those neighborhoods homes that are really fed up. Um, before we talk about, you know, what you think we could do, I want to go over what I know you've already done. You've created a nuisance task force with the uh, South Street Headhouse District to look at problem businesses and a planning committee for South Street Headhouse to look at how to attract different businesses, thus different clientele, perhaps. Uh, you've also started an AMP court, which is short for Alternative Misdemeanor Program, that will allow police to arrest for quality of life crimes. I know it's twice a week currently and going to five days a week. I want to talk more about that in a minute. Uh, you, uh, you do have more police redirected to South Street citywide. They are working at 12-hour shifts to make you know every neighborhood safer. And I knew when you and a colleague recently announced a plan to put 300 more police officers on the street dedicated to fighting quality of life. With all of that said, nothing that we've done so far has worked. Uh, 20 months, a thousand dead. What can we do here? Well, and you're absolutely right. And it is citywide, right? I mean, every district, every neighborhood in my district, the first thing we 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 talk about is public safety. When people start feeling they can't go outside their homes or sit on their side, sit on their steps or or go to a, a grocery store uh, for fear that something may happen, that's a problem. And if we have that problem, it's it's the residents who will not frequent our, our local businesses. It's the residents who then have the ability to move, will move, and the people who don't have the ability to move will be stuck in an area where it's unsafe. So the next step is to bring community court back. Now, community court is something we had years ago, was helped funded by Center City District. 
that will help even with juveniles. And, and who- com- community court was, uh, at least in our neighborhood, your, yours and ours, mine, uh, 12th and Morton. They used to have the, co- the community court there at the actual police district. Is that Absolutely. correct? Now, Amp Court, where is Amp Court? Is that right in now, the it's, it's on criminal Whitaker justice? Avenue. There's two locations at this time, right? And it's two days a week. Where it's going to be five days a week by the end of the year. We're hoping by the end of November, but by the end of the year, it'll be five days a week. And on Whitaker Avenue up in the Kensington area up there where we have a lot of challenges and CJC down here in Center City, uh, right on Filbert Street, right at, uh, at 13th and Filbert. Um, but what are they enforcing? So, are, are they well, picking folks up who lay on the sidewalks because they're strung out? Yeah. Are they? Uh, I mean, are are they anything? Anything that is illegal. In other words, if you're injecting illegal drugs, you're using drugs on the street. Uh, previous to this, they would not have uh, picked them up. Uh, they will be allowed to uh, pick them up and then issue them a uh, arrest and but, a charge. But it's then, illegal. It, why previous to this were they not picked? them up uh, that's a policy policy decision by the administration and i mean you always hear these terms we're not going to criminalize addiction we're not going to criminalize mental health and we should not, right we're not going to criminalize uh homelessness so the decision was not to do anything now we know that doesn't work right allowing people to continue that behavior is not helping them um so what amp court does is allow there to be consequences for that behavior but offer you a chance to join a program, whether it's a rehab or MAT or mental health treatment, right? Or community service. So there's a consequence to doing that. What about shoplifting? I've heard from a lot of uh, small business people on South Street and in Old City uh, about the proliferation of shoplifting and even police who are on patrol right outside the stores will in fact let the kids go. Um, Wawa at 9th and South closed down because of excessive shoplifting. And you know as well as I do, they are immediately next door, adjacent to a police mini station. So what's up with that? I mean, honestly, what's up with that? I mean, again, these are policy decisions, right? We as a city have decided that, you know, retail theft under a certain amount, and this was something that the, the district attorney had said, not that I agree with it, but that they had said that, you know, they are not going to be prosecuted uh, and they will not charge them. So the police took the adage that, well, if they're not going to be charged, then we're not going to arrest them. Right. That all snowballed into what you saw in Mayfair um, the other day where 100 kids just went into a Wawa and right. totally destroyed it. Right. Now, those people should be charged with a crime, whether they're juveniles or not doesn't make a difference. They went in there, they did two things. They only not only retail theft, but they damaged private property. And so these charges should be filed on them. And, and if we had uh, the ability to have community court back, there's something that we could have gripped those kids up, brought them in, had them be able to go to community court. And guess what? If they were charged with a serious crime, they upgraded out of community court to the regular court system. But there has to at least be consequences like community service. Like you said, we used to get kids on weekends that would come down there, have to do 24 hours, 40 hours community service. They would clean the park, clean empty lots, clean the streets, do different things. And you know what? That taught them that because of their action, there was a consequence. I spoke to several folks who own businesses, small shops, independent shops on South Street. And they said that right after the first uh, 
killings over the summer, in the beginning of the summer, there was an incredible presence of police. However, that resulted, at least in their mind, as fewer people coming to South Street to spend money because South Street is a place for people of color to come, <clears throat> to shop, and to enjoy a weekend. And the immense police presence um, sends a message to those folks of color uh, that is rooted in history, uh, and therefore they then avoid going uh, because they don't want to end up being another and casualty. I, I, I have heard the same thing, and like I said to the folks who, who said that, um, listen, we're in challenging times right now. If, if you feel uncomfortable because there's a police officer there, you know, they are there to make sure protect safety, right? And have a presence there in case something happens. They're not out there looking to go and attack somebody walking up and down the street. And I know, you know, systemic issues with the police department and some of our African-American community or black and brown communities uh, goes, a goes back a long time. But when you have shootings like we've had, and you have incidents like we've had, you need to show people that it's safe to go out because if people do not feel safe, they will not go. But coming from the pers uh, perspective of someone who looks like George Floyd, you know, looks like Jalen Walker, looks like Walter Wallace, and they're walking on the 400 block of South Street and they see a police officer, they do see something completely different than what we see you and i right well, and i would agree with you but you know if those officers weren't there when we had the massive shooting the one officer was fortunate enough to shoot one of the shooters in the hand and probably prevented about 10 more people from being shot you know i mean so it, it's a tough decision yes but we have to stand in a place where we as as representatives want to make sure safety is paramount and unfortunately Police are the ones who enforce the law, so you need them to be present. Now, I agree. I think the police do too much. I think we put too much on their plate. They have to be uh, involved in L&I issues when you're closing down a business. They got to be a lot involved with homelessness issues when you're out there engaging folks. There's a lot on police's plate that we put there, and I think we should remove some of those things from police and put other, other people who are more geared toward that type of conflict resolution and dealing with those issues day in and day out to deal with those things, but we put these things on police's place. So we sometimes we put them in a bad position um, where they could have a negative encounter. I agree. So, I mean, it, being a police officer is one of the toughest jobs in the world. Um, yeah. But I also agree that police doesn't always equal safe. And this crime does impact economic development, does impact real estate development, does impact the great rebuild. That's why we're talking about it today. I'm going to put, just wrap it a button this particular uh, issue up. Are you disappointed in the Kenny administration? Well, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't. Uh, I, I was a big supporter of, of uh, Mayor Kenny. And, um, you know, he was very gung-ho uh, being the mayor, leading in a new direction. And I can say he started off great. Uh, you know, I know some people were opposed to the beverage tax, but, you know, with rebuild and pre-K, you know, a way through trying to prevent crime is through education. And we thought pre-K using those revenues for pre-K was a brilliant idea 
and I greatly supported it. And a lot of people in my district were big supporters of it. So by by giving people the opportunity to have education earlier at no cost was something that we all supported. And it was really a, a big deal for him to get across the line on that. And I, I support the whole I hear a, I hear a big butt coming. Uh you know, and uh, I was a big fan of Rebuild, right? Our Parks and Recreation Department, because that gives other kids opportunities to play. They look great. Capitola but, being one of them in, in the district. Yeah. I just I mean, went Columbus by the Square. other day. Yep, Columbus right. Square. I, yep. I mean, there's a lot of things, and we still have challenges in some of our parks. But so they were they were really positive things, and he came on really strong. But then I think he, he sort of, in my opinion, took more of a handoff approach where he let the departments run themselves and say, all right, these are the experts. I'm going to listen to folks who are saying this and listen to folks who are saying that and not really make the decision. And listen, a good leader does listen to people who they hire to be around them because you want good people around you. But at the end of the day, as an executor of the city, you are personally in charge of all of that. And it's your decision. You can't say, well, that wasn't my decision. That was uh, Parks and Rec's decision, or that was public property's decision, or that was the city solicitor's decision. At the end of the day, it's your decision. Thank you for answering the question. I asked you, you were frank. You are, in fact, disappointed. And I think a lot of folks are. And I think Mr. Kenny himself uh, is looking forward to the day when he's not mayor, as he said. So, Well, I'm uh, going to say one thing. It's a hard job. And it's not an easy job. I would certainly never want it. So I can't, I can't, it, it's, it looks like, <laughs> it looks like a heavy lift for sure. It is. It but, is. I mean, saying that it's a hard job. Let's switch uh, gears for a moment. I've been talking uh, uh, to preservationists. Uh, we most recently had a preservationist on, on the show. Uh, and I was looking at some of, you know, a lot of our neighborhoods, especially the river wards. Um, you know, we see what happened with St. Laurentius and Fishtown and it was sad. Um, a lot of, Churches like Nativity and St. Adalbert's in Port Richmond. We got St. Philip Neary in Queen Village, Epiphany of Our Lord at 11th and Jackson, uh, Rising Sun Baptist Church at 12th and Fitzwater. Beautiful old churches that really define a neighborhood. I mean, growing up in, in these neighborhoods, you know, as well as anybody else, there was a local bank, there was a local church, there was a local school. They were the institutions that made that community and helped every, folks came around that stuff, those places. Every church that I just mentioned is either zoned for single family residential or apartments. And there's absolutely nothing protecting them from being demolished tomorrow. I could buy any one of these churches tomorrow and knock it down and then build homes or build apartment buildings. And there's nothing anybody can do to stop us. And communities would be changed forever. What could you do as a first district council person to protect these sites? Well, first of all, I just want the, the mayor, the Kenny administration did put together a historical task force to make recommendations to council on issues like this. Um, I was a part of that task force and we implemented a couple legislative uh, proposals uh, already and are looking at others to do that. Uh, the first thing we wanted to do was to be proactive on these things. A lot of times what we saw with the historic uh, community was we would go and then fight an issue after it was already had a demo permit or after somebody had development plans. That's right. That's right. Right. So our goal was to be proactive and, and having people go throughout the communities and designate them. And you know, there's a few people that do that, right? Yep. Yep. The reactive stuff that we need to do is that 
we we want need to react react to what the challenges are, right? And what the historic commission told us is there was always a big fight about deeming properties historic, because once you do them, a lot of people who own those properties believe it'll be less valuable, and if you go to fix it, it's going to be more costly. And so one of the considerations was a tiered historical designation, which means that some that right now you have either your historical designation or you're not. Right. And we believe by having a tiered historical designation, it'll allow more people to be able to hold on to what they believe the value of their property is, but maybe protect the facade, right? Not the whole building. Maybe there's an option that you could protect a community. So you say, and this is a historical historical community and this is what we want to do by putting certain guidelines in that community but not making it everything historical so that they can't sell their properties for a value and they don't have to spend a whole lot of money when they do repairing of those properties because getting fought from the people who own the properties is is makes it even more difficult to designate things historical even uh, when we were doing the churches you we get pushback from the archdiocese and others yeah but who i mean between you and me who cares about them Right, right. Well, I nobody. Mean, they've does, got right. they got more money than God, and they've spent <laughs> plenty of money keeping people quiet, or putting people away, or settling up uh, for pedophiles. So who cares? So right? the answer the answer to the churches, though, and not just regular everyday single family homes or or properties right. that are included in there, is to be proactive and and getting them designated. And I think we have done a pretty good job of designating a lot of the churches in, in South Philadelphia and the Port Richmond area. Um, now, again, we, we could do better. And the problem is it has to be done by individuals who need to do research. It's just not, you just can't go pick a site up and then and nominate it for historical without having uh, research uh, behind that. To, That's correct. So the That's planning correct. commission could designate that. Yeah. And, and the, so, histor the historic commission used to be the primary uh, folks who would nominate property. Now they, you know, now it's up to individuals to do it. Well, there's also a preservation alliance. Uh, and, right? yep, they, they don't, they don't do much either, unfortunately. Well, but they do work with some of the people <clears throat> who aren't designating yes properties, and um, you know that we need to make sure that we fund them properly because they're the ones that are really are out there throughout the city of Philadelphia. I know one district, right? But there's the city is is gigantic, and we have sure you know being the first world heritage city. I think it's our responsibility to protect the history of the city. Only 3% of Philadelphia's buildings are historically protected locally, compared to 28% in New York City, 20% in D.C., and even Baltimore has more, 6%. So any amount of money to go to the Historic Commission would be appreciated. Could we use the zoning code and spot zoning to protect these churches? Well, right now, a lot of it with most of churches, like you initially said, uh, are zoned RSA five. That's correct. Right? Which is single family home. Um, it's really hard to reuse a church into a single family home. So the, right there, we set it up for well, they a could, little bit. They could demo it though, right? They could well, demo the well, church. It, they could demo. I mean, it it it's really hard to demo a church. Uh, I mean, St. Laurentius was a, a whole nother issue, and it's outside my district, which is in the 5th Councilmatic District, but it was affecting right. the people who lived in my district. Yep. So I was involved a little bit, and there was a reuse plan that got approved, um, but then was appealed by some of the neighbors because they wanted to keep it at church. It was going to be a, a multifamily use in there. 
And then once it got appealed and went through that process, they lost financing for that church. And then it went into further disrepair. Now, you know, there's a lot of things that can be said about that. But if we would have designated it historic, even if it's in total disrepair, um, at some point, if they believe it's Emily Dangerous, it could still be demoed. Uh, safety overrides a historical designation. From stuff that's really old to something that's might be new, I guess. Uh, the 76ers, um, they did announce, of course, you know this, um, that they'd like, they have their sights set on a portion of, I guess folks call the fashion district. I would call it the gallery. And um, and they want to put a, a quote-unquote entertainment district. It just wouldn't be an arena right there on East Market Street. Uh, almost immediately, you've got, we've got uh, folks from Chinatown and other folks not from Chinatown but joining Chinatown's effort or some folks in Chinatown's effort to oppose it sight unseen. Uh, what's your take on this? Uh, you know, fashion district is a, a failure for the most part. Uh, and that's not no one's fault. It's just the market um, yeah. in, in addition to the, the pandemic. So how can we have something like the 76ers new arena, but still make sure that Chinatown is Chinatown? Well, first of all, the, the fashion district just had an investment of over $340 million. Unfortunately, they completed it right before the pandemic. Right. Uh, so it never really had an opportunity to take off. Um, and there was some excited excitement. There was some new venues in there. They were trying to reinvent the retail outlet to be more than just retail. So it would be retail entertainment, like a movie theater, bowling alleys. Uh, bars, other things mixed in there. So I think they had the right mix of things to try to build it. Unfortunately, it opened at the wrong time. And so it, it is floundering. Um, the arena, when they approached me with it, the one, one of the first things I said was, we have to meet with the Chinatown community, right? And the Chinatown community has many different uh, organizations that are involved in that. And out reach to the Chinatown community, just like, you know, with the stadium district in South Philadelphia, you know, there was people opposed to continuing to build new stadiums in South Philadelphia, even when they did the live casino down in South Philadelphia, you know, at the end of the day, the end up having what they call a stadium district, right. And a CBA community benefits agreement that allows the community to deal with the negative impacts from those stadiums and be able to provide uh, benefits through resources from those teams to the community. Uh, the same thing with the, the live casino did, and the people didn't want the casino there also and, and end up being built, but they end up receiving the community benefit. Now, that doesn't happen without input and communication with the Chinatown uh, organizations. I, I'm a big process guy. I like following a process to go through People have reached out to me and say they're opposed to it. Some people say they're supportive of it. Other people say we don't know yet. So we're going to have this process play out, look at more of what the design is going to be at the fashion district there, how it's going to impact, you know, where the parking is, what's the traffic study associated with it, how, you know, like in South Philadelphia, where they have traffic police protecting the communities during events, how would that possibly be implemented? in a Chinatown area, if they were going to put it there. Right. There's a lot of questions still to be had, and there's a lot of communication that still has to be had in order to see where this ends up and whether it moves forward or not. So you think 
there's a possibility that they could both mutually exist. Chinatown oh, yeah, I, and I, this district. Listen, I think anything could happen. We see, I have Broad Street Ministries right next door to million dollar condos. Art House. I just toured it this weekend. It was okay, beautiful. right. So, And I have a Project Home right in Washington Square West next to um, another large community um, condo building. If things are done properly, right, they could work. It's just a matter of getting people to work together and understanding the concerns of the of the residents in those areas. If you're going to ignore those concerns and you're just going to come in here and think that we should be patting you on the back and you're going to have this great thing, it's not going to work. And um, right. we need to make sure that everybody is involved in the process. And it's not just one group, you know, in Chinatown saying, hey, we want it or one group saying, hey, we don't want it or whatever, and having them take over the lead. It's about listening to all the people and listen to all those concerns and then see if those concerns can be mitigated through some type of benefit. And if that could happen, then we can move forward with it. And so, you know, anything's possible. If you have enough communication, enough dialogue, you know, it, it is possible to have both of those things in place. But if not, and if people don't believe it, then you know, it's not possible to move forward. Well, hope springs eternal. Chinatown is full of good restaurants. Uh, I, 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 yeah. And like your district, like the first council district, you know, I'm partial to it when it comes to going out to eat. I'm sure you might be too. Where do you go? This is the last well, question. I'm not going to say that because well, they'll probably hear this, but well, I want to. Well, you can pick something outside the district. That's fine <laughs> if you want. To, but where do you go? I wrap up every interview with the same question where do you go when you want to have one hell of a meal in philadelphia well um, my go-to place was always pesto down there on broad and mifflin um it's a, you always know you're going to get a, a great meal there uh so i always uh, love going to pesto but we you know in, in my district there is so many great restaurants you know and even outside the district what i like about it is that i think that in the city of philadelphia we have so many great restaurants from original uh, recipes from other countries. You could feel like you could go to Cambodia and have a great dinner, Cambodian dinner. You could have a, a great uh, Hispanic uh, uh, Latino meal. Everywhere you go, you could have authentic food. Um, and, you know, whether it's up in Kensington or uh, whether it's down in South Philadelphia and Center City, the same. Um, we are blessed with a, a great, overwhelming selection of, of restaurants to go to. So, I mean, well, I, thank, thank you for giving me that one pesto, uh, but also uh, uh, acknowledging uh, all the others. And the reason why we have that richness of a food scene is one word, immigration. That's right. Immigration. And all these other towns that want to put the kibosh on immigration. That's why if they want to go out to eat uh, Italian, they have to go to the Olive Garden because that's all there is. <laughs> right. Right. And if you want a good Chinese food, you have to go uh, order a delivery place or something. We listen, we have authentic food from almost all over the country. Now, Pesto, there's two places on Broad Street, right? One is the well, restaurant. One's the pizzeria. And one's the pizzeria. Which one are you talking about? The restaurant. The restaurant. All right. Well, well then I'm going to head over there this weekend. All Thanks, right, Council Member Mark Squilla. Thank you for taking the time to speak to us on this very busy Thursday. Um, thanks again, Mark. Really appreciate your time. Take good care. Thank you, Vern. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Take care. 
And that's a wrap on season one of Philly Built, folks. Many thanks to our producer, Joey Sweeney, to our seven guests over six episodes, and of course, thank you for joining us. Until next time, folks, if you need zoning or business matters addressed in Philadelphia, visit phillyzoning.com or Google Anastasio Law and give us a call. We'll see you real soon.